Well, good evening. You're still singing well. You've been singing well all day. That's great. I hope you enjoyed a bit of the sunshine this afternoon. It was one of those rare occasions in, in Aberdeen where I'm sitting out the back and I'm thinking, I'm actually feeling too hot. So, yeah, it was great. I'm not complaining. I, I, was, I was enjoying it. So I hope you did as well. And I hope that you had an opportunity to have a read at Second Thessalonians. It's a short letter and... Uh, uh, if you read it, I'm sure you'll have noticed it. won't have taken you many minutes to, to read it and get to grips with it. We'll read the first four verses of chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians, which is where we're going to focus our thoughts this evening. We'll spend a little bit of time just having a little overview and introduction to the letter uh, before we dive into those verses. But let's, let's read those verses for now. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 from verse 1. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. We're pleased to have the privilege of reading the word of God together and look to the Lord to add his blessing to to what we've read. I wonder if at some point in your life you've been to to watch a 3D movie you know the, the movies that you go in and, and you get given a pair of 3D glasses on the way in or a little plastic sort of thing with it, and there's a bit of blue film over one eye and green film over the other eye or something like that and you put them on and, and if you don't have them on the movie just doesn't make any sense. You can't really see what's actually going on. You put the glasses on and suddenly it all makes sense and you can see the movie just as it was intended in, in, in all its vividness, in all its, in all its uh, 3D. Or if, if, if 3D movies aren't your, aren't your thing, you know, maybe you've had a similar experience when you, when you go to the optician and you get your eyes tested. And, uh, you know, maybe your, you know, your, your contact lenses are taken out, let's say. I, I, without my contact lenses, I can't see. Uh, I've got minus seven in my right eye, so I, I struggle to uh, make much out without them. And then suddenly the optician puts on the sort of glasses with the lenses, and suddenly it all makes sense, and you can see what she's trying to show you. Now, sometimes current events can be a bit difficult to make sense of and see in their proper perspective and see them as they, as, as they really are. You know, we, we, we live in times of anger, lots of anger. Everybody's angry about something and everybody's going at each other about something uh, and we live in times of anger. And we also live in times of alarm where there's a, there's, there's a really high level of, of fear and alarm. And living in that culture and, and, and that, that society that we all live in, it can be easy to become a bit disorientated and to become taken up with anger or to be taken up with alarm or to be taken up with both of those and just to lose sight of seeing things in the proper context. Now, the wonderful thing about the Bible is God doesn't leave us in a state of disorientation and alarm. He gives us the word of God and, and 
That allows us to see our current circumstances in the big picture. To see them, if you like, through the lens of the big picture. To see things through the lens of of the Lord's return and the fact that the Lord Jesus is, is returning. To see things through the lens, if you like, of eternity. Now, for the Thessalonians, there was also this this danger that they could become a bit alarmed and they were going through some real tough times some real times of persecution as well as just uh, trying to make sense of a few things so so let's let's come to the church in, in Thessalonica um, Thessalonica as you may recall it was a really big important city it was it was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia it had a population of about a quarter of a million people that puts it uh, more populated than Aberdeen, if you like, um, which may not be that exciting these days, but in those days, uh, that was a big city, a quarter of a million uh, people. It's really important, you know, flourishing centre of trade and philosophy. The Ignatian Way um, was a major route that ran all the way from sort of modern day Albania to modern day Turkey. Um, so, really, it was part of the sort of network that uh, took uh, uh, people who were tra- and, and trade. Uh, right from Rome, right out to the sort of outer bounds of the of the Roman Empire, and all the tra- all the sort of traffic and all the sort of business trade routes would pass right through Thessalonica, right down the main street, if you like. That it doesn't project terribly well, but that there is actually part of the Ignatian Way that still exists today, and you can go and and uh, and, and and see um, today. So you can still see parts of parts of that route. Um, so it was a really important place, and it was a really important uh, port as well. So it was really strategically uh, linked, and it was a flourishing sort of centre. And you might be recall that uh, the Apostle Paul visited Thessalonica. Um, relatively brief visit, probably, um, on his second missionary journey. And the, there again, is, you, you need to come up and have a closer look later at this, really, won't you? Um, it's, it's so bright because it's so sunny, you can't, you can't quite see this. But, but basically, um, Paul went to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey and he went and he, he, he did what he, what, what he always did he went and he, he preached the gospel and uh, uh, there were some Jews who believed there were some devout Greeks who believed there were some of the leading important women in the society who, who believed and people became Christians um, but then some of the Jews who were jealous about uh, what was happening formed a mob they set the city in an uproar and uh, Paul and Silas ended up Cut a long story short, they ended up having to hurriedly leave Thessalonica by night. You can read about all that in Acts chapter 17. You maybe remember when we did Acts, we, we, we uh, uh, looked at this. And you maybe remember that actually I showed you this slide when we did this passage in Acts, because I took you through that passage as well. Acts 17 verses 1 to 9. Um, it's, it's interesting actually. Um, this, uh, 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 it's a while I mentioned the British Museum, so I'm going to mention the British Museum here. This is an inscription that uh, you, can, you can go and see actually in the British Museum. It's taken from an arch that was found in Thessalonica. Um, Thessalonica still exists as a city uh, today, Th- Thessaloniki. Um, it, st- it still exists and it's an even bigger city, about 400,000 population I think from memory. Um, today. Um, but this arch was taken, this is an ancient arch um, from Thessalonica and um, it's got an inscription called the Politarch inscription. Here's the importance of this, here's the significance of this. It's just a little reminder to us of how what we're dealing with is actual history. It's actually things that really did happen. 
In Acts chapter 17, Luke writes about these polytarchs. Polytarchs were city authorities who governed Thessalonica. And for a long while, people sort of questioned the, the accuracy of what Luke was, Luke was saying. You know, people that wanted to cast doubt on the Bible. They said, well, you know, that wasn't the way the, the Roman Empire was governed. They didn't have their own sort of city authorities that governed in a sort of semi-autonomous way. Um, Luke, I, I think, you know, I, th- I, I, I think you got, this, uh, you, you got this wrong. You know, you're, you're a bit off the mark here. And people would, would, would say, looking at, uh, look, looking at Acts. And then, of course, what they found was an inscription, and they found a few others now as well. And I don't know if you learned the Greek alphabet at, at school or not. I, I remember learning the Greek alphabet at school. And if you, if you read this out, um, basically it spells out polytarchenton. What's it talking about? Polytarchs. It's talking about these people that Luke uh, talked about. And guess what? Luke was right. Thessalonica was actually, had been given a sort of uh, semi-autonomous state where they were self-governing. Um, it had been given some privilege in that regard. And again, it's not that we believe Acts because the British Museum says it, but you see things, you know, when, when you look at secular history and, and it all fits together. And it's just a little reminder to us that what we're reading about here is actual historical events and historical facts you know people sometimes people try to dismiss the bible and they say well you know it's just fables it's just stories it's myths that have been handed down um and uh, you can't really believe that these days come on it's 2022 but actually if you're going to dismiss the bible you've got to you've got to dismiss huge swathes of secular history as well because it all intertwines because guess what it actually happened so there we go that was from Thessalonica basically so the church had been formed in Thessalonica after Paul's relatively (coughs) brief visit to Thessalonica people had heard the gospel people had believed and there was often that cycle in Acts the gospel was preached people believed and then opposition arose and that had certainly happened in Thessalonica. And there was still opposition. In fact, the church in Thessalonica, as we're going to see tonight, was living under quite a bit of persecution. So, we're now looking around AD 50 to 51, when uh, this letter, the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, uh, is, is being written. Um, Paul's writing is he's obviously with Silas or Silvanus, as, uh, as, as his uh, Roman name was. He's, he's, he's writing with Silas and Timothy and writing again to the church in Thessalonica probably just a few months after he wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians which you may remember because we finished it last week and so he's writing again and uh, he's got a few concerns some things that he needs to put right Um, he's going to address for example the fact that some members of the church have become idle and instead of working um, they've they've become sort of busy bodies rather than busy people if you like and uh, he writes to correct that and he hears of some other things where they've become alarmed and he he, he writes to to try and uh, set them straight about that and And uh, really, there were three problems that are evident, really, as we look at as we look at Second Thessalonians. We look at chapter one, and we see that they were suffering affliction and persecution. We're going to look at that tonight a little bit when we dive into that first section. They were under a lot of persecution and affliction, and Paul addresses that, and he seeks to encourage. The believers. He seeks to encourage the people of God and to encourage them to, to view their current affliction through the lens of Christ's return and through the lens of the fact that in the big picture God will do what is right and, and things will be put right and this little snapshot that they're living in right now 
it's not the end of the story and it's not the end of the picture so chapter 1 he deals with affliction and he encourages them and you'll go on next week to, uh, to hear a little bit as Jordan brings us a little bit about how um, uh, Paul seeks to encourage the Thessalonian believers in the face of affliction then in chapter 2 we go on and we see that there was alarm there was alarm particularly they were worried because there was a bit of confusion about what was going to happen in the future there was a bit of confusion around the Lord's return and uh, you'll remember obviously that in 1 Thessalonians um, Paul had written quite a lot about what was going to happen in the future and about the Lord's return but there was a bit of confusion and, and, and some of the people were thinking that actually basically the, the day of the Lord had already come essentially they were thinking that they'd missed the rapture and they were thinking that they were already already living in the tribulation. Now, in a sense, you know, we, 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 can't, we can't blame them for getting a bit, you know, confused about that. You know, they were living in difficult times. They were living under persecution. And they also didn't have the full canon of scripture as, as we do. And, uh, they, uh, you know, they're trying to piece all this together and piece together what Paul's told them already, both in person and then when he's written to them in, uh, in the first letter to the Thessalonians. And, uh, they're, they're alarmed because they're thinking, well, what's happening? Have we, have, you know, have we missed the rapture? What's, what's going on here? And uh, the answer is teaching, correct teaching, correct doctrine about what is going to happen in the future in end times. And in chapter 3 then, the problem is idleness. People that have decided, well, I'll tell you what, we'll just, you know, we'll just, we'll just quit our work now. We'll just quit our work. Maybe they were saying we'll quit our work and wait for the Lord to return. Or for whatever reason, they had, they had, uh, they, they, they had decided just to, to stop working and idleness. I did try and get an A and I thought of apathy, but it wasn't quite apathy. So I've stuck with idleness. If you think of an A at the end, you can, you can tell me what it should have been. But idleness was a problem. And the people had to be exhorted. The people that were idle, essentially, that become busy bodies rather than being busy at work. Chapter 3, verse 11. And so there was, there was exhortation. There was a commandment and encouragement to work. Chapter 3 and verse 12. They were told, no, no, you don't just sit back and decide we're just going to not, not work. We're, just gonna, you know, we're not, we're not going to do anything. Just wait for, wait, wait for the Lord returning. No, no, they've got to work. And they're commanded and they're encouraged. And actually you look at that and you see, as you see the content of this letter, you see that actually there's, there's a sort of content to the things that we all need, isn't there? You know, sometimes we need encouragement. There are times that in, in difficult times we need, we need encouragement. And, and we need teaching, we need correct doctrine, we need to know what the truth is. And we need to be able to know what's true versus what's erroneous. And so Paul gives clear teaching. And we need exhortation, we need commandments, we need encouragement to do the right thing. We need to be told what to do. And there's all these sort of elements really of of what we need as we listen to teaching from the word of God as well. So, we're going to sort of take ourselves back now to AD 50, 51. Whatever point it was that uh, uh, this this second letter to the Thessalonians would be delivered and then read out to the church. And we've read just the very first section this evening, the first four verses. And as we think on the first four verses here, the question really would be, how would you describe the church where you are? You know, most of you are from Fernley here, so how would you describe the, the, the church of Fernley? We're going to look at how the church in Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians, was marked. Because it's interesting, sometimes when you mention... A church, a company of God's people, immediately someone will say, Oh, 
that church is, and they'll use an adjective to describe it, so they might say, oh, that church has got lots of young people. Or, oh, that church is uh, very active. Or, uh, um, oh, that church, that church is a very friendly church. Or sometimes I've heard someone say once about, no, not about, not about here, but someone else, oh, no, they're not very friendly in that church. Or uh, uh, that church, oh, they, they, you know, they all wear really fancy clothes in that church. Or, you know, sometimes you get various different adjectives that are used for different churches. And sometimes you might think, well, how would we like the assembly here at Fernley Lee to be known? How would we like it to be described? If somebody was talking about the assembly at Fernley, what words would we want them to be using? Well, let's look at how the Thessalonian church was described as we go into verses 1 to 4. So so Paul starts off in verses 1 to 4, starts the typical greeting. It's, It's very similar to the greeting at the start of the first letter to the Thessalonians. And uh, it's interesting, the Thessalonian epistles are the only ones in which Paul doesn't start with, doesn't identify himself by a title. He doesn't say Paul an apostle, or Paul a a bond servant. He he just says Paul, with Sylvanus and and Timothy. Um, And it's quite interesting, there's obviously a real closeness and, and intimacy about Paul's relationship with the Thessalonian church. Though he'd only been there in person for, you know, a relatively short, short time. Um, so he introduces himself, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, and uh, he says, To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And straight off, we have a reminder, although sometimes we, we see these uh, uh, opening comments at the, st- at the start of every epistle, and sometimes we almost just might gloss over them and uh, dive straight in. It's worth just taking a... Uh, a moment just to remind ourselves that uh, what, what Paul's saying here to the church of Th- the Thessalonians he's saying, you know what? God is your father. God is our father. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, our father. And he's saying, he's saying, you know what? Jesus Christ is Lord. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the Thessalonian church, that would be a particularly encouraging reminder. As we're going to find out just a few verses down, they were going through times of persecution. You know, there had been opposition right from the word go, really, to the believers in Thessalonica, as Paul had had to leave in a hurry in the middle of the night. Um, And there was obviously persecution and affliction still going on. And here's one of these moments where it's useful just to view things through that proper lens, isn't it? And for the Thessalonians, this would be a good, a good lens for them to view things through. To say, do you know what? As we're going through all this persecution, as we're going through these times of affliction, God's our Father. And Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. And he's in control. And that would be a great reminder for the Thessalonian believers I mean it's, it's a good reminder for us as well isn't it do you know I, I, I don't know what you're going through at the moment I don't know what you're going to face this week I don't know what I'm going to face this week but here's something that we can take with us into this week whatever we go through God is our Father and Jesus Christ is Lord 
And flowing from that truth and from that union with God come what? Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Now again, sometimes we can just um, gloss over that and we can sometimes think, well, it was a commonly used introduction to a letter, and it was. But it's true, isn't it? Grace. Grace, God's unmerited favour to to the sinner. Favour from God that we did not deserve. Favour from God that the Thessalonian believers didn't deserve. Favour from God that none of us deserved. Grace to you and peace. The result of that favour from God is peace. That's That's something that's so precious, isn't it? It's peace. You know, we, we live in a world that quite obviously lacks that peace, doesn't it? There's wars on a global scale. There's conflict within the country. There's conflict. You can drill down and probably whatever level, you know, whatever level you face, you, you see conflict. And, uh, you know, people aren't happy. And there's disagreements and there's... There's conflict. And you know what? What the Lord Jesus gives us is something that the world can't take away. Something that we can know even in the midst of the storm, which is peace. Grace to you and peace from God the Father, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begins his letter in this way. You know, there's a lot that he's going to put right in due course. But he starts by reminding them God's our Father, Jesus Christ is Lord, and you get grace from God and the Lord Jesus Christ and peace. And now Paul gets on with giving thanks. It's often what he does, isn't it, at the start of a letter. You know, before he dives into saying, Oh, you know, you folks have stopped working, you should be you know, you should be getting back to work. He's he's gonna get to that. But there's stuff that he's gonna do first. He's going to give thanks, and that's a good pattern, isn't it, as well? And uh, it's a good pattern for us, isn't it? You know, it, it might be that you see things that need to be put right. And you see things in your fellow believers' lives that need to be put right. And, you know, there will be things that need dealt with. Um, but Paul di- doesn't dive straight into that. He starts by giving thanks. You see, he doesn't fall into the trap. Sometimes the world likes to view people as being all good or all bad. And, and, and we like to view things in that sort of simplistic way, don't we? So if somebody has done some bad things, then everything about them must be bad. And if somebody uh, is viewed positive, then everything about them must be good. And we want to view things as either all, view people as all good or all bad. But there were things that needed put right in the church, but that didn't mean that they were all bad. There was actually, there was, there was a lot, there was a lot that God, that, that, that Paul wanted to give thanks to God for about these people. Because they're God's people. And he talks about them as brothers. And so your fellow believer that, you know, maybe you disagree with them about something. Maybe there's something that's gone wrong in, in, in your relationship and it needs put right with that fellow believer. But you know what? You still give thanks for them. You can still give thanks that they're God's people and that they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And Paul starts by, by giving thanks. Giving thanks for them. Giving thanks to God for them. And he gives, th- he gives thanks for three characteristics in particular. Now I mentioned earlier, I, I can ask you that question. How, how would you like to be known if, if, uh, you know, if people were talking about the assembly here at Fernilee or whatever assembly you, 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 you come from? What would you like people to be able to talk about? Would, you, you know, would, would, would it be... Uh, uh, you know, what, what would be the most favourable attributes that you think would be appealing? Well, it might, you know, we might get a surprise here if you look at what Paul talks about with the Thessalonian church. So first of all, he gives, gives thanks for their faith. Their faith, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Do you know, Paul had given thanks for their faith at the start of his first letter to the Thessalonians as well, in chapter 1 and verse 3. And he remembered, he, he, he remembered their work of faith. And that was cause for thanksgiving. But here's something that Paul gives thanks for. Their faith isn't static. Their faith is growing. In fact, it's not just growing a little. Their faith is growing abundantly. Their faith is, literally the sense of the word is, their faith is increased beyond measure. And that increase has happened while they've been undergoing persecution. While they've been experiencing persecution. You see, for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, many believers have testified of how it's the difficult times that have driven them to greater dependence on God. And persecution can be like that. It can drive believers to greater dependence on God. You see, Paul talked a bit about... uh, Persecution in the Roman epistle in chapter 8 in verses 35 to 37. He's asking the question there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? So shall persecution separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What's Paul's answer? No. In all these things including the persecution, were more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here the genuineness of the Thessalonians' faith has been evidenced, it's been demonstrated. Under persecution, what have they done? Have they abandoned this faith and said, well, this is a lot tougher than we were, you know, we, we were expecting? No, their faith has grown. It hasn't just hung on even by a thread. It's grown and it's grown abundantly. It's increased beyond measure. So he gives, th- he gives thanks for their faith growing. You know, there's another question about, well, you know, how does something grow? How does something grow? Well, something grows if you feed it, doesn't it? Let me give you, a, let me give you an example. Outside my office window at work... Some seagulls are nesting. Every year they come, springtime, and they always build a nest in the same spot. And then they lay some eggs, and this year it was three eggs, well, the three babies anyway, three little seagull babies, seagull chicks, sorry, I should be correct, shouldn't I? Uh, I've been talking about seagull babies for, for, for too long. And uh, they hatched a few weeks ago, 
and that was very exciting and uh, every Monday morning when I go in after the weekend I notice that they've grown quite markedly, quite significantly I mean they're really quite quite big now and they're only a few weeks old and I notice a difference, you know, I, I left them on Friday and uh, you know I know that when I go in tomorrow morning they will have visibly grown and why, why do they grow? well they grow because they're being fed, now the press and journal always uh, you know, first with the breaking local news did an article on seagulls a couple of days ago and, and, and you can read it online and it had lots of facts about seagulls and apparently an adult gull eats 20% of its body weight every day in food which they worked out is the equivalent of a 10 stone adult consuming 59 Big Macs per day so you grow if you're being fed what's the picture for us if, if, if we want our faith to grow we've got to feed on the right stuff haven't we you know, if we are feeding on the Word of God, if we are feeding on the Lord Himself and spending time in prayer, you know, that's what we've got to feed on, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff that the world will throw at us to try and get us to feed off of, and it's not going to cause our faith to grow, is it? We've got to feed off the right stuff. So their faith is growing abundantly, growing in persecution. And then the next thing that the Church of the Thessalonians was marked by. Was, was love. Love. What does he say about their love? Verse 3. Give thanks to God for you brothers. The love of every one of you. For one another. Is increasing. Now again Paul has spoken about their love. In, in the first letter. And he's given thanks for their. Uh, uh, for, for, for their, for their labour of love at the start of the first letter chapter 1 and verse 3 this is quite all encompassing love he doesn't even just stop and say give thanks that you love each other that would have been good but he really isn't a bit of depth in this the love of every one of you for one another is increasing you know, it's not just that some of them were marked by love. There weren't some who took on the role of uh, loving everybody. Now, this was something for everybody, wasn't it? And it wasn't just that everybody loved some people in the church. It wasn't just that everybody loved the people that they found it easier to get on with. Or the people who had the same opinions on certain issues as them. The love of every one of you for one another. And and this love, it wasn't just hanging by a thread. It wasn't just in danger of being snuffed out altogether and right, I've had it up to here with them. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You know, that's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? You know, Paul had, had actually prayed about that. Paul had prayed about that in, in, in the first letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. He had prayed that the Lord would make them increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And guess what? His prayer's been answered. And that's such an encouragement. So, again, as we think on what, what do we want to be known for? Infernally. 
what do we want people to talk about if they say oh yeah the, the, the church that meets at Fernley Gospel Hall yeah what, what about them wouldn't it be great if they say yeah that's a church where they, where they love each other wouldn't that be a great thing because the Lord Jesus you, you have said it often the Lord Jesus said, said that he says you know what John 13 34 and 35 he says you know what I'm going to give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you it's quite a thing isn't it you also are to love one another what are other people going to notice about your about you as disciples by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another you know that's something that can actually make us stick out like a sore thumb and it should in a world where love is so lacking and where anger and division abound if people come amongst us and realise that we love each other now let's call a spade a spade we all have different opinions on things you know if I was to go around you all and I'm not going to do this because it wouldn't be helpful and ask you about your political preferences or how the pandemic should have been managed over the past two years or who the next Prime Minister should be or whether Scotland should be an independent country I'd get a variety of answers to all those questions and that's fine we all have different opinions that's natural that's, that's okay that's life but you know what we don't just have love for those that agree with us on any one or more of those issues we have love every one of us for one another we have to you know, that's the defining feature it's, it's, easy to, it's easy to have love for those that we find it easy to get on with isn't it and it's easy to have love for those that whatever we say they say oh yes I think that too but to have love we've got to have love for each other it goes far beyond all our differences and all our preferences and all our opinions that's based on not any of these sort of issues but it's based on the fact that we're followers of Jesus and we belong to him and we love each other because we belong to him so the church in Thessalonica was marked by faith was marked by love and they were marked by steadfastness in actual fact Paul liked to talk about the church in Thessalonica he liked to talk positively about the church in Thessalonica he went around saying have you heard of the church in Thessalonica their steadfastness and faithfulness in their persecution and in the afflictions that they're enduring they're standing firm in persecution and affliction they're keeping going under that difficulty they're steadfast you know there have been persecution as I mentioned for the believers in Thessalonica right from the word go and it doesn't seem to have eased up and through all that persecution they're keeping going they're standing firm just like you remember the fiery furnace and with Daniel's three friends and then there was another in the fire walking with them and in the persecution and in the affliction they're standing firm knowing the presence of the Lord right there with them 
with them and they're steadfast and that's a, that's a remarkable testimony again isn't it you know people would look on and say well why do they keep going why do they why do they not just call it a day their life could be easier in an instant if they just walked away from this newfound faith that they've got and just fell in line with what the people that are persecuting want, want them to fall in line with and they stand firm and Paul loves to talk about it he loves to, he loves to speak positively about them he boasts about them in the churches of, of God and holds them up as a positive example and so we've got faith, love and steadfastness it's a little bit different actually from what you often hear in that sort of triad you often hear about faith, love and hope or faith, hope and love and in fact in, in the first epistle hope is what's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3 now they're holding firm they obviously still have that hope but maybe Paul's just seeking as he writes to them to encourage them in their hope in the midst of their afflictions so let's, let's round this off now you know it's, it's let's try and imagine if you went up to somebody who, who knows of the church that meets here at Fernley and uh, you asked them to describe their impression of it in, in, in maybe three words give three adjectives what would, you, what would you say about it well there's a good question you know for the Thessalonians this is a pretty good testimony they were marked by faith a good thing for us to be known as being marked by wouldn't it faith that's growing growing beyond measure love love that every member of the assembly has for each other and it's growing and steadfastness keeping going keeping going through the tough times you know keeping going when it when it hurts keeping going through times of affliction because you know we certainly at a, a national level we don't experience persecution by and large of the sort that the Thessalonians had experienced but as believers we do experience affliction don't we we, we, go, th- we go through tough times and, and you know what a thing isn't it that through those tough times we, we, we pray that in the goodness of God and with his help we persevere, we keep on, we stand firm and that can be a, te- that, that can be a, real, a real testimony to, to, to others you know, I, I uh, remember a few years ago hearing the testimony of a, 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 a young man who uh, became a Christian as a student and uh, he became a Christian when he, he, saw, he, he stayed with a, a landlady who was a, an elderly uh, lady and uh, sadly her, her husband passed away uh, during that time he was a believer in the Lord Jesus and, and that was obviously a real real. you know, we, we can't start to imagine it unless you've, you know, unless you've walked that road and uh, but what she saw was what what the students saw was was that lady as a believer and how she how she kept on going through that difficult time that was a real testimony so whatever type of affliction you go through we don't you know we 
we don't want to speak beyond our, our experience. But, uh, you know, we, we look to the Lord to help us stand firm and keep going. Now, sometimes we do need to lift our eyes and see the big picture, don't we? Paul's going to take us on, take the Thessalonians on, and us kind of listening into the reading of this letter. And he's going to take the Thessalonians on to see the big picture, to see their affliction in the big picture of the Lord's return and in the big picture of eternity. And uh, you know, sometimes we need to have our eyes lifted to see our current circumstances. Whatever we face, whatever difficulty, whatever pain we go through, you know, to see that in the light of eternity. I'm going to read to you the words of a, of a hymn that I love. I heard this hymn at Keswick just a few years ago. I'd never heard it until then. Um, it's called When We See Your Face. I did slightly have a notion that we might try singing it, but uh, been, uh, consensus is that maybe that would be a tad ambitious. So I'm going to read the words to you. And you can always uh, have a listen in on, on YouTube or whatever later. And then if we all do that, maybe we'll sing it sometime. But the words are great. It just lifts our eyes to, you know, when we'll see the Lord's face. Though the dark is overwhelming and the brightest lights grow dim. Though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men. Though the wicked never stumble and abound in every place. We'll all be humbled when we see your face. And the enemies we're fighting, those without and those within, will be underneath our feet to never rise again. All our sins will be behind us through the blood of Christ erased. And we'll taste your kindness when we see your face. We will see, we will know like we've never known before. We'll be found, we'll be home, we'll be yours forevermore. All the waiting will be over, every sorrow will be healed. All the dreams that seemed could never be will all be real. And you'll gather us together in your arms of endless grace as your bride forever when we see your face. Hey, whatever you face this week, okay? Whatever pain and affliction you're going through, I pray that we'll each be able to keep our eyes on the Lord and see our current difficulties in the light of eternity and in the light of the Lord's return. Let's pray. Our Father... We thank you for this letter that has been preserved for us as your inspired word. This letter that was written to this church in Thessalonica that was going through times of persecution and affliction. And yet their faith was growing and their love was growing and they were standing firm in affliction. We pray for each member of the assembly here and each person here from whatever assembly they, they, they come from you know each one any who are finding it a struggle just to keep on going when they feel their faith is just hanging by a thread encourage and strengthen them or any who are just struggling with that issue of, of love you know how some we find easier to get on with and then sometimes there can be disagreements and difficulties maybe always deal with each other in love and those who are going through affliction help them help them to remain steadfast to keep on going 
we know that that can be tough, but just keeping on going, what an achievement that can be. Help each one of us this week, whatever we face, to know that you are our Father and Jesus Christ is Lord. We give thanks for him in his name. Amen. Amen.